Yes, now to the sensitive negotiations that have come to a head over the Greater Sunrise project between the coasts of Timor-Leste and Australia, taking our Foreign Minister Penny Wong there this week and bringing uh, Jaja Ramos-Horta to us next week. Timor-Leste will face an economic crisis without income from the stalled, yet-to-be-developed LNG project that's potentially worth billions of dollars. There have been numerous sticking points during the project's 20-year history. Most recently, President Jose Ramos-Horta has warned that if Woodside Energy, the project's operator and joint venture partner, did not facilitate Timor-Leste's demand to process the gas locally, he'd turn to China to develop the project. Meanwhile, Woodside's chief executive, Meg O'Neill's, insisted that processing the gas at the established energy hub in Darwin is the only commercial option for Greater Sunrise to go ahead. To understand where the parties all stand, I'm joined now by Saul Kavonik. He's an energy analyst for Credit Suisse and has previously advised both the East Timorese government and Woodside. Welcome to Saturday Extra. Good morning. Good to be with you. Saul, can you give us some context here, please? How dire is the financial situation for Timor-Leste? Look, it's a pretty... They're at a pretty critical crunch point right now. So if you look at... uh, East Timor's, you know, fundamental government budget revenue, the vast majority of it over the last uh, one to two decades has come from the uh, an LNG project called BioYundan, uh, where the gas is developed by Darwin. That field is running out this year, so t- this year will be its last year of production. And then you've got the majority of uh, Timor's revenue uh, disappearing. And there's all they've got left then is their sovereign wealth fund, which they have very astutely put together to put um, some of that uh, gas revenue uh, away for a rainy day over the last two decades. But that is due to run out by the end of the decade. And then there's uh, nothing. Um, and that could pose some very serious uh, financial crunch for the government. Um, it's led to concerns from geopolitical experts on a potential uh, rising risk of a failed nation state. Um, and opens up a geopolitical kind of wedge for other countries, uh, such as China, um, to step into the brink on the doorstep of Australia. Yes, well, I mean, um, Ramos Hort has already given several recent interviews to warn that he will turn to a Chinese company if Woodside doesn't accede to the long-standing demand to put the processing plant in East Timor. So what's the backstory here? Has the local processing of gas always been a sort of deal-breaker for the Timorese? Absolutely. So this is not a new issue. This has been around for almost 20 years, uh, where uh, Timor are, are very committed to developing the Sunrise gas field onshore with the new 10 plus billion dollar LNG plants on the south coast of Timor. And industry's view has always been that that's not commercial. And if this needs to be developed, it has to, the gas has to come to Darwin where there's already existing infrastructure in place. Uh, I think it's very uh, hard for uh, some of us in Australia to understand the level of commitment there is uh, in Timor to this. Uh, Shinada Gushmayo in particular is has a lot of political capital invested in bringing uh, the LNG plant to Timorese shores. There's actually a piece of pipeline in Timor, you know, which they've laid with a plaque next to it saying, one day the sunrise gas will flow through this pipe. Um, and that is a very strong political commitment there. They see economic benefits from it. The problem is it's coming up against a disjunct with industry where this is not commercial. There's no way an industry body like Woodside or any LNG player in the world 
is likely to go anywhere near entertaining actually developing this in Timor. And so it's coming up between a very difficult political uh, commercial reality. And the only way to solve this is for either Timor to change their view or if they can play a geopolitical card to try and get a government, whether that's Timor or Australia or China or someone else, to provide a massive subsidy. And we're talking about $5 billion plus subsidy to potentially make a plant in Timor work. And I, I have read that, in fact, the Chinese aren't particularly experienced at this type of technology and uh, infrastructure development. Is that right? That is correct. So, I mean, a lot of this is viewed as Timor's essentially uh, bluffing in the ability to get China uh, into Timor. Um, and one of the main reasons for that is LNG technology is actually very uh, restricted around the world. There's only a few LNG technologies. There's only a small handful of contractors or companies who can actually do this. And none of them are in China. In fact, they're all uh, basically American or European. Um, you've even seen a recent example with the recent sanctions on Russia. I mean, Russia has an LNG plant which is almost finished, and now they can't finish it because they can't get parts and they can't get the expertise in there. So the idea you can build one without those parts and expertise is very challenging. Um, now, you can always develop that kind of technology, but then that would be a very big bet. I mean, we're talking about Timor would essentially be betting its entire economy on a project being built uh, by a company, for example, from China, who has no experience in doing this. And that would be an exceptionally risky proposition for them. Now, a, re a royalties deal was renegotiated, wasn't it, in 2018, after our uh, spying on Timor uh, gave us an advantage in negotiating an early deal. So what's the royalty split now? Um, and which outcome in terms of where the gas is processed would provide the most income for Timor? That's a very interesting question. So if we just look at the facts of what happened in 2018 when they did the boundary renegotiation um, under the UN Convention for Law of the Seas, uh, a lot more of the Sunrise gas field ended up in Timorese water. So uh, Timor were quite successful in that boundary renegotiation. And under the new tax regime, they're 70% of the revenue of the project will go to Timor if the project is developed in Timor the way Timor wants. But if they allow it to come to Darwin, they'll get more, 10% more, so they'll get 80% of the revenue. So if you like want to quantify that on a pure tax basis um, for the Timorese government, they get about 3 to $4 billion more um, in tax if they allow this to be developed in Darwin. Uh, what Timor argue is they still see greater economic benefits um, by building this in Timor, which would more than offset the higher ta the, the tax take that they would otherwise lose. But again, coming back to 2018 and what was put on the table then, there was hundreds of millions of dollars uh, put on the table by both the Australian government and industry um, to incentivise the project to instead come to Darwin. They still offered Timor, for example, a lot of the operations to be run out of Timor, or supply base, investment in capability, training, logistics hubs in Timor actually investing in a small gas pipeline so some of the gas could also be delivered into Timor and actually run through that uh, little uh, pipe that I mentioned where the plaque is um, so that there can also be a, a room for there to be a political win on the Timorese side too. So there's actually a lot of economic benefits which could happen both via being developed in Timor or via in, uh, being developed in Darwin. And what industry tried to do there is they tried to uh, show Timor there's a way that we can be that we can find a commercial way to develop this, which will have to be in Darwin, but you still can get a lot of the economic spin-off benefits that you want to see in Timor in areas like logistics and supply-based support and operations, which can then have a broader economic impact because these skill sets and capabilities can be applied more broadly to economy and not just to one gas plant. Sounds like a pretty good deal. 
myself. Uh, look, I think that is a way most uh, third-party observers and industry commentators have seen this. Uh, but are, are know, we seeing it through a, uh, our eyes and not Tia Marie's eyes? Is that the problem? I think it, that is very important. So, look, you know, as an industry person, uh, I can say, you know, the industry look at this and they say they see this as a tragedy for Timor because they only see one real development option which can work. And if Timor had allowed this, let's be clear, you know, Sunrise would be starting this year and Timor would be actually making even more revenue uh, this year than they had in the past. Uh, and they see that as a real tragedy. But again, I think what's underappreciated is that level of commitment in Timor to this. And there's a history behind this, right? So you... You, particularly, you have, you have uh, one of you know the independence um, fighters, mm. Shana Gushmao, who spent time in prison. You know the Australians, everyone around the world came to him and said, "Timor will never be independent," and he proved them wrong, and he, he got Timor in the, to be independent. And then it was only five years ago, everyone said, "You'd never get a boundary renegotiation; it's impossible." And he proved the impossible could happen. And so again, when you have Everyone in industry, many governments around the world telling Timor, you can't build this gas plant in Timor. Well, there's a lack of trust, you know, after, you know, he's proven that the impossible can happen. And, you know, from from what it's worth, you know, my personal perspective, I look at this from an industry point of view and think, unless there's some government who's going to come in with many, many billions of dollars, which is unlikely, this either gets developed in Darwin or it stays in the ground and then Timor will have a massive economic crisis ahead of it. Well, uh, I really hope I'm wrong. I really hope well, Timor I just, actually find a way to pull this off another impossible and make it possible. Well, is there a realistic, plausible way forward? Like greater subsidies from Australia? Uh, I mean, incidentally, we've got Penny Wong there. We Australian government, the Australian government doesn't have a sort of direct stake, but she's there, which gives you an, a sense of how serious... Uh, how seriously the government takes it. And uh, President Ramos Horta, who's a much more pragmatic person, I think, than Shinanda Guzmao, he's coming here next week. So surely it's going to be solved. I'd like to have your optimism, but I'm afraid I don't. Uh, look, there's obviously a, a big political impetus going on at the moment. I think we just need to bear in mind a few things here. The geopolitical angle is very strong, right? So the, the idea that if China was to go and develop there, then China would have an interest and potentially a controlling interest in a port right on Australia's doorstep. So if you actually stand on the south coast of East Timor, on the beach where they want to build this plant, you actually shouldn't swim there because the saltwater crocodiles from Darwin can swim there. Right? That's how close <laughs> this is to Australia, right? Um, now, so there's a big geopolitical impetus there, but I think there's a view that this is also a bluff. And Australia tactically here doesn't have to make a preemptory commitment. But what I mean is, let's see if Timor can actually get a Chinese serious interest. And if they do, then part of this still ultimately lies in Australian waters and Australia can veto it and then Australia can come to the table and prevent uh, China moving in there. Uh, and so there's a view here that this is all kind of posturing and a bluff. And as we discussed, China probably can't actually deliver a project like this anyway. Um, you know, and I think there's an industry view and perhaps there's a cynical view which says, you know, at some point there's going to be an economic collapse. There's also at some point there'll be a change of the generational guard of the leadership in East Timor and you wait until that time and all the position just ultimately changes in Timor to enable to this to come to Australia. Uh, and that's maybe ultimately the way this plays out, which would be very unfortunate. 
But I think we probably need to see some significant compromise on all sides here, but I'll really struggle to see it happening Look, this, this is Timor. A, this is a little coda. Um, given what's happening with skyrocketing gas prices and the competing pressure to stop developing fossil fuels, I'm wondering if there's a limited window for East Timor to make the most of their resources anyway. Yeah, so there's two two sides to that equation. So on the one side... Make it quick. Is, if you look... Yeah, the last few years, right, it, the decarbonisation, lack of long-term gas demand or uncertainty in long-term gas demand has made projects like this even harder. That said, in wake of the war of Ukraine, skyrocketing gas prices, maybe there's a chance that something like this can get over the line again. Um, but there is this, as you say, there's a window. If something doesn't happen soon, like even to get this to started by 2030, you need to start today. Yeah. And if that doesn't happen... You may never have this. May be the last window there ever is for an opening for this development. Look, fascinating analysis from you, Saul. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Saul Kavonik, an energy analyst for Credit Suisse, and that vitally important set of negotiations underway. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.